As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Today's episode of 4 to 6 with A&B is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to 4to6.robinhood.com. That's 4to6.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield or uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to four to six A and B, your Ohio State podcast here on The Athletic. This is Bill Landis in my steamy office in Columbus where I have the heat bumped up to 70 degrees for some unknown reason. And Ari Wasserman on the other end of the line out in, where are you? You're, I feel like we're playing Ari's world travels here every week on the podcast. Where are you this week? I'm in Phoenix uh, right now with my family, and I'm going to Laguna Beach this afternoon after we're done with this. How are the folks doing? I miss them. They're doing, they're doing well. They miss you too, Bill. Yeah, Ari's parents are the best. Makes you wonder how he turned out the way he did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, let's. I, I don't know how much you want to do this, but I think we need to pick at the scab a little bit because we are coming off the national championship. LSU beat Clemson 42-25. to and Ari broke the golden rule of Twitter, which is never tweet. During that game, uh, with with the take that, you know, I, I think I see where you were coming from, and, and, and people don't know what we're talking about. You, you tweeted a point during the game that from watching those two teams, you felt like Ohio State was the best team in the country. Um, had an interesting uh, ratio going on there. Well, it did not get ratio because you had like 7,000 likes or something like that, which was pretty insane. Um, 2.8 thousand uh, mentions or uh, responses, 1.9 thousand retweets, and 13.6 thousand favored. So, how does the ratio work? I don't even know. Ratio. What, how do you get ratio? If you have more replies than you do combined uh, retweets and likes, which you did not, you didn't approach that. You didn't get ratioed. You just got because, to be honest, I'm sure a lot of Ohio State fans, at least in that moment, were agreeing with you. Right. But I'm sure the replies did not reflect that. You know, the thing about the tweet was a I shouldn't have sent it. <laughs> because that's the rule don't tweet and like half the time i want to only tweet when i'm posting a story and never tweet anything and then sometimes i just want to tweet every five <laughs> seconds um but like i need to do a better job of understanding what's going to make me look like a homer and i think it just made me look like a homer so i regretted that um but the time of the uh tweet um I think Clemson was winning by 10 at that point, and Joe Burrow couldn't do anything. And I know that in the first quarter, like, you just got to let players settle, and you have to, you know, watch the game play out. And obviously the way it played out, the guy threw five touchdowns and 450 yards or whatever it was, and 
really completed the perfect season for a quarterback. I mean, when you think about it, stats were crazy. Uh, undefeated regular season, SEC championship, um, Heisman Trophy, na uh, national championship, and now it's probably going to be the number one overall pick in the draft. It's got to be the most perfect sequence of events that a human being could ask for. Um, and as the game ended, <clears throat> the original point was wrong. So I'll read the original point. The more I watch the game, the more it's clear that Ohio State was probably the best team in college football this year. And my thinking is, and call me a homer, call me an idiot, call me a fanboy, whatever you want to call me. But I think Ohio State is... Homer idiot fanboy. Homer idiot fanboy. But I think Ohio State is better than Clemson at football this year. Is that a fair point? I think it's a fair point, and I think it's 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 a point that I agree with, even though it does sound ludicrous, given that Ohio State lost a head to head. I understand that, but I, but I think I agree. Right, and like I mean, and the obvious, the obvious low hanging fruit that you can respond to that is well, if only there was a playoff system to decide that. And I got a lot of, I got a lot of responses uh, on Twitter saying that sort of thing. But is there any context or any? sort of ability to think outside the box and like actually go back and analyze that game and like listen we're ohio state reporters we cover ohio state for a living um and like saying ohio state was better than the team that they lost to comes across as like a salty person who's who's sad that their team lost like i understand how it looks but you know as reporters of this team who have been critical more than anybody else on the beat um maybe outside of Doug, because he's also critical as well. Um, are we allowed to, like, ever say anything positive without that happening? <laughs> and, and, like, the thing that's so interesting to me is that, you know, maybe the timing was wrong or maybe, you know, the execution of the tweet was off. Like, I understand, you know, how Twitter works, and I should have been better about that. But to me, Ohio State was better than Clemson in that game. And a lot of things happened in that game, regardless of whether it was the refs or missed opportunities caused by Ohio State. I think if you watch the game with any nuance to it, you will come away thinking that Ohio State was better than Clemson. And at the time that I made that tweet, Clemson looked a lot better than LSU. Obviously, that's not the way that things turned out, and you never really should come to conclusions that dramatic in the middle of a first quarter of a football game, and I understand that was my mistake. But overall, the point isn't as crazy as some people want to make it out to be. Yeah, and no, oh. <laughs> It's, I think it's the saltiness that you talked about, and there was a whole lot of salt on Ohio State Twitter <laughs> during the national championship game, <clears throat> especially early in the game. And, like, I get it, um, especially if you're a fan of Ohio State. I totally get it. But, um, you know, it was coming from from uh, media as well who seemed to be, uh, at the beginning, upset that Ohio State wasn't there and then, you know, reveling in the fact that, that Clemson didn't, didn't really look the part once they got on that stage with LSU. Um, I understand that to a certain extent. Which I think is such a weird way of looking at it, Bill. Don't you want the team that your favorite team um, almost beat or should have beaten to win the game? I think that, I mean, I think from a standpoint of like that makes it harder to swallow that your team didn't make it, but it also like legitimizes the fact that, hey, this team was the best team in college football. So like now, after the game is over, I think Ohio State would have lost to LSU. And I jokingly cut and pasted the tweet and changed Ohio State to LSU later on, and that got a lot of engagement too. Um, but I don't really think it was that nuts. I don't, I, I don't know. No, you know, I don't think it's that. Like, it's possible, it's possible to be the better team and lose. Like, Ohio State's done that plenty of times over the last couple of years. Um, I think that they are better than Clemson, but Clemson played better than – or executed better than Ohio State when it mattered, and, and they beat Ohio State. And Ohio State was on the bad end of, of a questionable call. Um, it was kind of funny in the national title game to see, not funny because I felt bad for the kid that got ejected, but Clemson got a, had a defensive player ejected for targeting and then also had a more inconsequential touchdown taken off the board by a, a questionable offensive pass interference call. Then it was a, kind of like a funny bit of, of karma, I think, that, that happened, at least in the, in the minds of Ohio State fans. But I, I agree with you that, that I think, you know, if, if Ohio State and Clemson played 10 times, I think Ohio State wins more often than it loses. Um, LSU, I'm not so sure. And from watching that game, like I think LSU was a step ahead of Ohio State offensively this year, especially in a world where Justin Fields is not 100%. Um, I think Ohio State's defense probably could have offered a little more resistance to LSU's offense than Clemson did, but I'm not sure how much because that offense is crazy good. Um, I think maybe they would have gotten after Joe Burrow a little better because 
LSU's offensive line, which won the Joe Moore Award for the best line in the country, I think actually probably wasn't the best line in the country. I get why they won, but I actually think Clemson and Ohio State's offensive lines were better than LSU's. Um, but LSU's offense is nuts. It might be the best offense ever. We may never see another offense like what LSU put together this year. So I agree with you. I don't, I don't think Ohio State in its current form was in a position to beat LSU. I think maybe it could have given LSU a better game. Um, but if you come away with that, and I think it's probably the prevailing feeling, Ohio State's number three in the final eight people. If you come away with it feeling like Ohio State was at worst like the second best team in the country and just didn't play well enough when it mattered the most or didn't get the breaks when it mattered the most, I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I, I listen, I think right now the best team in college football won the national championship. And when you put Ohio State's loss in perspective, I guess it's probably easier for fans to swallow um, now that they didn't just go see Clemson, you know, beat the crap out of LSU and you, you would be left thinking, well, if J.K. Dobbins would have caught one more pass or if one touchdown didn't come off the board, maybe Ohio State's national champion. I think there's a legitimate chance or probably the heavy favorite that LSU would have beaten Ohio State just because it just seemed like they had the perfect year. Um, and I think that that should help people, you know, sleep a little bit at night because the whole thing that is that Ohio State's going to remember the season for is a missed opportunity. And the missed opportunity was beating Clemson, but that doesn't guarantee um, Ohio State was winning the national championship. And I think after Ohio State lost to Clemson, people felt, well, this team was a national championship team. And I do think, you know, after covering this team for 10 years, and, you know, you're now, what, five years into it? Um, aside from six years into it? Six, that yeah. Aside from the 2014 team, and this is arguably as good as that team. This is the best team I've seen in 10 years. So as a reporter who has covered this team for a long time, I think it's a, it's fair for me to be positive about how good they were when they were great. And last year they sucked and they've had, you know, bad seasons before and neither of us gave a shit when they lost. But, you know, I guess you should just save positive thoughts at times of saltiness to yourself because all that's going to happen is what happened to me. And I understand that. But it was so funny. I had, like, some dude from catsillustrated.com and the Rivals Network call me a homer, like, when he makes a career covering the team uh, that he loves for the Rivals site. Like, and I just, like, I just, like, Twitter drives me absolutely insane because there's no way that you can have a nuanced discussion or have any thought whatsoever without, like, people coming at you, like, with torches as if like it's like a, a hunt down you know and it's just like if you just like actually have a real discussion with somebody who actually doesn't give a shit that Ohio State lost and like really put things in perspective Ohio State in my opinion and I think that anybody watching that game should have and could have come away with the opinion that Ohio State was better than Clemson so at the time that I tweeted it when Clemson was putting it on LSU, it wasn't an insane thought that people are trying to make it out to be. No, like, uh, what do they call it? Cancel cancel culture is a real thing. If you tweet something that people disagree with, they're going to bury you, which is why I stick to tweeting jokes and story links, and that's really about it. <laughs> and your jokes were actually funny during the uh, during the national championship. But you know what, man? Like, Twitter, like, we cover college football. We don't cover the Pentagon. Like, I didn't lose any sleep over it. Like, it'll give people... Uh, an opportunity to talk shit or whatever they want to do. But like, just like, we're talking about football, man. Like that's all we're doing here. Yeah. So what do you think? We put, put uh, the 2019 season to bed at least for a little bit now. Is this, is this the end? Are we, are we officially turning the page forward and, and not looking back at what happened this past season? Well, you have a, a news conference on Wednesday and I'm assuming a large portion of that press conference is going to be about, you know, how the team is going to recoup from that loss. And I think that that loss is going to define a lot of what we write about next year um, mm -hmm. because I think that it's going to be a motivating factor the same way that, you know, back in the mid-2000s, like after Ohio State got blown out by Florida. And, you know, it's just going to be a season and a game that I think people talk about for a very long time. So as it pertains to this podcast, I think we can put it to bed uh, because it's over with and, being a sports writer is about trying to talk about the future, but I do think that what happened on that field in Phoenix at the end of the year will have a prevailing presence in our work just because I think it's going to define a lot of the team that returns to try to... Because like to me, 
Ohio State does have a team that's good enough to make it back to the playoff next year. I think they will be in the playoff next year. But even a year from now, when they're in that spot, if they reach that spot, we're going to be talking about what happened. Like, I think it's... it's God, I just... Sorry, I didn't mean to yeah, cut you off. I just saw somebody tweet. I just saw somebody tweet out a thing for for next year's top twenty five and say they're bullish on the Big Ten West and like the shit's starting already. It's the Big Ten West. We know what's going to happen. <laughs> Leave it alone. Wisconsin and Nebraska aren't going to get it done. I was thinking about this in the car, and like I remember thinking like last year at this time when people were saying uh, Scott Frost was going to help Nebraska win the Big Ten West this year. How crazy that is! But like now. That he's year two in the program, if he's doing things the way he wants to do them, this would be the year to actually pick them. So I think that you're going to even see more of that. I don't know if I'm going to buy it um, in eight months when all this stuff really reaches the apex of it. But the Big Ten West cannot hang with the Big Ten East, and like it's like fetch isn't going to happen. Let's stop trying to make fetch happen here. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I think I'm just going to pick Ohio State and Penn State to go to the Big Ten championship and. It'd be a better Six game than anything it. that would happen otherwise. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on from this then. Uh, this is 4 to 6 with A&B, your Ohio State podcast on The Athletic. We appreciate you guys tuning in. I think the plan for the foreseeable future anyway, probably most of the offseason, to come to you guys once a week. I think we'll be sprinkling in from time to time when we can some of those uh, subscriber Q&A shows that we were doing during the season because we want to uh, give you guys that do sup- subscribe and support The Athletic Something else uh, to listen to is a sort of a thank you for that. And if you are not subscribed and want to get subscribed, you can still go to theathletic.com slash 4-6 to get 40% off where you can read uh, our off-season stories. we got some stuff that, that we're still working on. I have the story on the Charles Bentley when I went to visit him in Phoenix that I haven't written yet. I went and saw Mitchell Melton, Ohio State's linebacker commitment in the class of 2020 when I was out in Maryland last week for basketball. I haven't written that yet. i got a lot of stuff on my board over here that I haven't written yet that I promise eventually I, I will get to, and I know Ari has, has stuff that he wants to get to as well. And like Ari mentioned, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday morning, and Wednesday afternoon there is a Ryan Day press conference. And I am interested myself to see sort of the, the framing of that and how much of, of it is about what happened over the last couple of weeks and how much of it is, is springing forward. Um, I think I'm a little more interested in, in the forward part. Um, and maybe first and foremost, well, what's your, what do you have your question? No, I have like, uh, I have like seven or eight different things written down and I am, I am interested in this conversation about making Corey Dennis, the quarterbacks coach and like Ryan day's role in coaching the quarterbacks and, sort of like the preference to like have an extension of himself or to have somebody new come in. Like if he even ever entertained the fact of not hiring one, cause some coaches who coach quarterback head coaches who coach quarterbacks do that. Like Lincoln Riley doesn't have a quarterbacks coach. So I'm interested in the thought process there behind his decision to hire Corey Dennis. Uh, I'm interested in like Ryan day finally having a returning starting quarterback. I think maybe for the first time in his coaching career, which is also interesting. And that quarterback also happens to be like an otherworldly talent. Um, so, and then there's like a bunch of little stuff about like, he's never spoken about Sean Wade coming back. He hasn't spoken about the offensive lineman who decided to come back. There's a bunch of recruiting things. So there's a lot. Um, I don't know. I guess I'll see. I think I'd like to ask about the quarterback stuff for quarterback coaching stuff first and foremost, but we'll see, you know, how well worn that ground is by the time that Jerry Emig calls on me. Uh, Do you conference. think that it's appropriate um, at this point um, to like dive into certain play calls um, that he made, or is it just dead? Like, do you think people are even interested in that? In the national title game, you mean? Or in the semifinal? I mean, in the playoff game, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't I know. Like, like do, you have a, do you have a play in mind? Removed. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't, I don't think there's anything that... Um, if the one play that I would think of is, why do you send uh, the punt block team? And I understand the idea of aggressiveness, and when it, when it works, it's amazing. And when it doesn't, then, you know, it's high risk, high reward. I get that. But I think a lot of people are wondering that one. Um, I don't know if there are any offensive calls that I think were crazy. Um, I don't know if you have one, but, like, why go for it all from the 20 with the game on the line and throw to the end zone with 20 seconds left when you had plenty of time to, you know, try to chip away and get into the, you know, scoring territory inside the 10? I don't know. There's a lot of different things that, like, if you could play the what-if game on, and I just didn't know if – people are even interested in in that, you know, or if it's just like, well, the game sucked, missed opportunities, weird calls, 
it's painful. I don't want to think about it anymore. Yeah, I don't know. Where, I don't know where people are. I, I, I never crossed my mind. I think you know. I, I forget. Somebody asked him. I don't know if it was me or not. Asked him about going for the pump block. Um, and his answer, I think, was something along the lines of like wanting to be aggressive and wanting to be bold. And I, I believe he said he'd do it again um, if he was in the same situation. Not going for two. He was not asked about not going for two, as far as I can recall. And I, because I, I actually think that if he would have gone for two and gotten it there. And it was funny because Clemson went for two early in the game to get within three. And I understand that's uh, in the national championship game. And I understand that that's a different scenario. But if Ohio State's up by three, and we talked about this on the podcast after, they might go for it on fourth and four at the end of the game to try to seal it away because they, um, you know, a field goal would only tie it at that point. So I, I do think that there are, not, not to belabor the point on certain calls, but I do think that there are certain decisions in that game um, where Ryan Day was less than perfect. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure he will get asked something along those lines. I'll be. I, I'm not going to ask that, but I'll be curious to see how willing he is to go down that road. Um, I think. I think like recruiting stuff and quarterback stuff is is a little more pressing. I think than sort of rehashing what happened in the semifinal game. Um, speaking of recruiting, so the the calendar is uh, changing this week. The uh, what is it? The um, Contact period, I think it's called. It begins on Friday, or maybe it's like midnight on Thursday or something something like that, uh, where coaches can get back out on the road and, and talk to people and players can start going on visits. And it looks like, uh, I guess the two biggest names as it pertains to Ohio State's 2020 recruiting, because they are kind of full at the moment. They're at 89 by my count. And I know the numbers always work themselves out in the end, but I also don't think you can just like, hey, we have 92 now, we'll figure it out. So um, spots are tight, but I do think they want a running back, and they're obviously still recruiting Cam Martinez. Um, and it looks like Jameer Gibbs, the running back from Georgia, is going to take an official visit this weekend to Ohio State, and and obviously they'll be on the road um, talking with some other guys. Uh, I don't know, R, do you, have a, do you have a vibe on where things stand with both those guys, Martinez and Jameer Gibbs, and, and how you think this 2020 class might finish out for Ohio State? You know, did you see that Brian Hartline followed Zach Evans on Twitter? And everybody was freaking uh, out about no, that. No, I did not. I did not see that. No, I thought that was really funny. <laughs> uh, I think that Ohio State wants to um, land another running back, and Gibbs has been somebody they've been recruiting for a while. And I think he had a really awesome game in the one of the All American games that was on TV. They rebrand them every year, so it's kind of hard to remember which one it is. Um, and he's taking an official visit this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, um, I think that that's a uh, pretty big decision right now for Ohio State to take a second one. But I just got done writing, um, and will run probably while we're recording this podcast, Ohio State's top 10 remaining 2021 targets. And there are quite a few running backs out there um, that Ohio State's going to be recruiting in 2021. So I don't really know, unless you could get a guy like Evans, and I'm not necessarily sure Ohio State's really that interested in him, other than just what you might be able to try to pull away from watching people's movements on Twitter. I'm not necessarily sure that the idea of taking a second running back is an absolute need right now. Um, like It's like an overreaction to what happened, I think, when Ohio State's in on uh, Evan Pryor, a four-star running back from Cornelius, uh, North Carolina. Um, uh, the other running back that they're in on is uh, Donovan Ed- Edwards out of West Bloomfield High at Michigan, the powerhouse up in Michigan, and he's the number two running back in the country and, and seems pretty high in Ohio State right now along with Michigan and you know, they got that all-purpose back in North Carolina named Will Shipley, who's getting compared to, you know, Christian McCaffrey, which, you know, you can probably read between the lines on why on that one. And then... Um, is, he a, is he a scrappy gym rat? Yes. Oh. Uh, but he's a five-star prospect who's, like, the number 21 player in the class. Like, he's, like, legit. Um, so they, they have options in 2021 to get a running back. And it's like, if Ohio State, to me feels like it needs another running back on its roster next year to go along with Master Teague and, you know, Mayan Williams and some of the other guys that are on this on this roster. Like, getting, like, a one-year, like, rad transfer at that position makes more sense to me than trying to, like, load the bottom half of the roster when there's a lot of names in 2021. So I think Ohio State clearly wants him and will take him. They don't host official visitors in mid-January when they don't want somebody. But I'm not necessarily sure that's an absolute dire need right now in terms of the way this roster is constructed. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think I agree with you, and I, I said that I think during the season, and it changes a little bit now that J.K. Dobbins is moving on to the NFL. But it's not it's not a totally bare cupboard. I still like Marcus Crowley a lot, and and we haven't seen much of him, so it's it's projection at this point. 
But I think you could get a lot out of him, and maybe he's the lead guy, and, and Master Teague is, is the changeup like he was this year behind J.K. Dobbins, and then you have Steel Chambers and Mayan Williams for, for a little bit of depth. Um, I mean, they, ha- they have four scholarship running backs right now, and, and I don't think they're going to lose any uh, to, to transfer. So I don't know. Do you need five? Do you need, like, I don't think you need that many. Are we at the point right now where we're not sure if Master Teague is the number one back? Because that's the answer right now. It's like the idea of does Ohio State feel Oh, I'm not sure. Does Ohio State feel comfortable with what they have in Master Teague, Marcus Crowley, Steel Chambers, and Mayan Williams to get through the season next year? Because this is, I think that we both agree that Ohio State has a chance to have the best offense in college football next year. Like, I, I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. What I do think is that you need to have a solid running back. And, like, J.K. Dobbins, like, proved over and over again how valuable his presence was in this offense. And if Ohio State doesn't feel like they have enough to get through next year, then I think that the answer to that problem is trying to find, to like bang the drum on the transfer portal to see if there's a ready-made guy who could come in and play immediately. Because I don't know what another true freshman is going to do to solve that problem. Yeah, I think uh, I just wrote that down on my notebook because I think that would be a good question for Ryan Day today too. And it's kind of weird. like There's there's all these pressing questions and we have all of spring to, to get to them. So, But I think that's one of them. Is, is Ohio State good enough right now at running back? And I think maybe with Crowley and, and Teague, they are. Um, by the way, I had a plan um, for these next few podcasts, like leading up to spring football, to like sort of break down a different position group each week while we do these. So let's just do running back now since we're talking about it already. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, I think it's a fair question of whether or not they have enough for for next year and and i'm inclined to think they that they would with crowley even uh, crowley was a three-star but he was also the wasn't he the gatorade player of the year in florida um which is a pretty impressive feat to pull off so i I think that that's a talented kid maybe wasn't ranked quite the right way and he just wasn't healthy at the end of the year otherwise i think he would have played against clemson in the fiesta bowl maybe instead of of master teague or at least on on more even footing with master teague I like Teague. I think he's a little one-dimensional. He's super fast. He's good in the open field. He lacks vision of a guy like Dobbins, and I guess you can grow in that. In my mind, he's not dynamic enough for what Ohio State needs as a number one tailback, but I think Crowley might be. So what what is um, the knock right now? Uh, it's so funny to me how, how things change a little bit, but I remember at the beginning of the year, people were like, more Teague, more Teague, more Teague when J.K. was on the team. And I'm not saying you're doing this, but I'm just wondering what – do people feel like because the offense didn't quite move the ball on the ground the same way they were with J.K. Dobbins in the Fiesta Bowl when Master was in the game? Like, what what is the reason that you may be down on the idea of him being the number one back next year? Because like, I think that he's a he's a talented player. Do you think that's what it is? Yeah, I think that's all it is, and, and maybe I'm I'm guilty of, of recency bias too because I think he did end up being the third leading rusher or the third rusher in the Big Ten this year. With like eight hundred something yards, I think, and and he looked good. Like he runs really hard. He's big. He's fast. I, I I would like to see more of him as a pass catching threat and and a pass blocking weapon because all those things are important to Ohio State's offense. Um, but I think with the way the way that Ohio State runs the ball when they do a lot of these outside zone runs and they're looking for these cutback lanes and it requires uh, two things: really good vision and good lateral movement and. J.K. Dobbins, while he's not the fastest guy in the world, as we discussed, he was a lead at those things. He's a lead at both of those things, right? And and Master Teague's not, and he doesn't have to be because he's only a second year player. He's going into his third year now, and I don't think anybody ever really thought he was that player coming out of high school. He's just a different kind of back. But I just don't know. I don't know how like imperative that skill set is for Ryan Day's offense. And if he feels like it is, and and I kind of feel like it is, then then I don't know if Master Teague is, is necessarily that guy. It's not to say he wouldn't have a role. I just I just don't know if he can be your every down running back if he if his strengths don't really line up with what I think the strengths of the running back in this offense need to be. I think that those two traits, Bill, um, vision and shiftiness, are God given innate abilities. Mm-hmm. I know that, I'm not saying you can't improve on those things because of course you can improve in anything, but like J.K. Dobbins was that right away, like. His first game of his true freshman year, go back and watch the tape against Indiana. Um, it's just an ability that you can just sense right away, and I don't know if Teague has that. And I don't know if one entire offseason focusing on vision and shiftiness is something that you can teach somebody. And I don't know if that's too harsh, 
But like even like I always like think of like Maurice Claret too. He wasn't like the fastest guy in the world, but man, he could see the lane and he hit the lane, you know, and he could move and he was shifty and for a big guy, like he was incredible. And I'm just trying to think of like Ezekiel Elliott to me wasn't nearly as good at being shifty as J.K. Dobbins was. So like I think that you can be good a good running back and somebody who runs hard and be useful in an offense. I just don't know if you're able to teach the way that JK ran the ball. Yeah. And it, it, I think it's, it's more cause Zeke, it's, I think it's more the vision part than anything. It, it's, it's the, it's the be, being able to sense that, that cutback lane or that crease, um, especially when you have five or six, 300 pound guys moving really fast in front of you. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. And JK was really good at it. And and there were times, especially against Clemson and, and Clemson also changed up its run defense. I think that's worth pointing out. And, and obviously Clemson has good defense. But there were times where if you watch the film that it looked like Master Teague wasn't 100% sure of what he was looking at or where exactly he should go. And then he just kind of put his head down and ran with a lot of power, but he didn't get very far doing it. And um, I just don't know, like, over over time if that's, if that's the best way to go about things. Now, I also think I, I agree with you that that is sort of an innate thing and, and kind of you, you have it or you don't. Um, I'd be curious to have a conversation or interested in having a conversation with Tony Alford about that and, and whether or not you can coach it up to a certain extent. Cause I think you can with, with a lot of film work. Um, but I just don't, I don't know. And maybe they would never admit it. I don't know how far the gap is, I guess we're from where Ash Teague is right now to where he probably has to get to, to be on a level where Ohio state has the kind of running game that it had last year, because the offensive line is going to be really good. It's just a matter of, do you have the type of back who can work within that system or otherwise maybe you have to change your, your, your running game a little bit and, and get a little more downhill than it was uh, this past season. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's the course that Ohio state takes, but I, I think Marcus Crowley might have a little of, of what we're talking about here. Yeah. So if he's healthy, if he's healthy and, and I think he will be, he wasn't on a scooter. He wasn't on crutches when he was at the Fiesta Bowl. Um, we don't know his status for the spring, but but if he can practice in the spring and, and that comp- competition happens in earnest, he'd be my pick right now to be Ohio State's number one tailback next year. I um, also wonder, too, because there was a lot of talk before the year, Bill, about um, how much Justin Fields' running ability was going to open up the running game for the backs. And I don't think that we saw any of that this year. And I'm just trying to figure out if... Um, that's going to be a bigger element to his game next year as well. And maybe if Ohio State has more confidence in the three young or the two young quarterbacks they brought in in terms of who could be the backup for this team, um, that might open things up a little bit. Or if they'd be too scared to open things up because of what happened in the Fiesta Bowl and him being injured or banged up on the biggest stage and not being able to play the game to its full extent. Um, But I'm also very curious of how much we're going to see a progression in the run game from Ohio State's quarterback next year, because I do think that he is a better runner um, than he showed uh, this year because he didn't have to. And I'm wondering if Ohio State's going to ever get to the point where they feel like he has to. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that could be coming this year. I think there were times, if you watched it, there were were certainly times, and and I think it's because he was, at the beginning it was because they were protecting him, and at the end it was because he wasn't 100%, where, where he probably should have kept on a couple of runs. But even with that, there were still times where Justin Fields' threat of running the ball like held the entire back end of the defense, and like J.K. Dobbins got out and ran for fifty yards. Like that happened, not a lot, but it happened enough that it was noticeable because it didn't happen at all last year. Um, I think the answer to that question about how much Justin Fields is going to run this next year in twenty twenty will be answered, I think, by how good they feel about C.J. Stroud and, and Jack Miller as the backup quarterbacks. That they think they have a little more playable depth there or maybe even something better than that with, with one or both of these guys, then then I think that the shackles can come off a little bit. And it's not like you're okay with Justin Fields getting hurt, but I think you're just a little less conservative because you know that if something does happen, that you have guys behind him who can play. Because last year you didn't have anybody behind him who could play. Yeah, it's like so funny to me because like in the entire quest to keep Justin Fields healthy at the end of the year when they needed him to be healthy, he wasn't. They didn't run him at all. They didn't need to run him at all. And then... It didn't matter in the end because he was banged up when <laughs> they needed him. So when they yeah when they needed him to he could, like because because they think you saw it in the national championship Joe Burrow had to use his legs a little bit like a lot frankly and if Justin Fields I think had that ability I I, I think I don't think it's too crazy to say that if Justin Fields was 100 percent and could use his legs to the full extent of his ability that Ohio State would have won that game because I think they would have scored more, they would have scored more in the red zone. And I think their run game would have been more effective even than it was. And back to the tweet that I sent. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I agree with that completely. I 
I also think that in the modern day world of college football, you have a very hard time winning against teams of equal talent at the highest level without the ability to move. Like Joe Burrow, like you were like the guy who would bang the drum the loudest because you watched Joe Burrow play in high school a lot back when he had bleached hair and back when he was a one-star prospect. Um, <laughs> that was so funny, that uh, tweet you posted of, uh, I don't remember the, oh, little, the little Giants, Giants character's <laughs> name, but the way that they were like, the commentary was trying to map Joe Burrow out. I mean, the kid was a stud in high school. Nobody thought that he was like... Every time he made a good play, he lost a star. <laughs> know, it's just like, but he could move. And you banged the drum back in high school when he was recruited that he was like a legit dual threat quarterback. Um, and I do think that, like, even when you look at Trevor Lawrence going 70 to the house against Ohio State, that I don't know if a, if a college football team, just in the way that the game is being played in the modern era right now, can win a national championship with a guy who can't move at all. And sometimes I wonder, yeah. like, if Ohio State would have gotten to that level last year had they not had their, their trip up against uh, Purdue, or two years ago now, um, whether Ohio State could have won it all with the way Haskins played the game. And maybe I'm nuts, but... Every single time we see these great quarterbacks at the highest level, and I mean, I guess Tua didn't move that well either, but I do think that's almost a crucial element to the offense that you need to have when you're playing against teams that are equally talented because of the numbers ratio that it creates when the quarterback has to be accounted for. Yeah, well, when Tua, when we Tua, healthy Tua can run, healthy Tua can move for sure. Um, but yeah, I think I think you saw some of that. I mean, he was really good when, when LSU played Alabama, but I think it's probably the same deal. If Tua is 100%, maybe that game goes differently. But he wasn't, so I think that, I think you're right. I think you're you're dead on with it. I just don't. That, that's and that's probably even true of the NFL anymore too. Like you look at these. Uh, I guess like Ryan Tannehill is the exception, but you look at some of these guys who are who have advanced. And Jimmy Garoppolo is a bit of a statue too. But like Aaron Rodgers can move, and, and Patrick Mahomes can move, and Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson. Like all these guys are really Aaron Rodgers athletes. can really move. Yeah, I know people don't view him that way, but he can really move. Yeah, he's a um, he's a he's a, he's sneaky athletic, as they say. <laughs> sneaky athletic. Yeah. Um, but I, I love the position that Ohio State's in next year with their offense, but I do think getting back to the running backs that they absolutely need to find an answer there. And I think that if I were assembling Ohio State's roster back to the transfer thing, and I don't know who's available in the portal right now, if there's like a guy that they feel is ready-made, but to me that seems to be like the more logical solution than taking another freshman. Yeah, unless unless the freshman is someone like Zach Evans, who I don't think is going to be the guy, and and I believe uh, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, Jeremy Birmingham at Letterman Row has has come out and basically said like that's that's probably not going to happen. So unless it's someone like that, and I'm like B. John Robinson would have been somebody like that. It just you, I think you need somebody a little more ready made because otherwise you're just throwing yeah you're throwing another inexperienced young guy into the mix, and, and I don't know how far that gets you. But this is also the reason why four months ago or five months ago when Ohio State was you know, losing out was in July when all the running back stuff kind of fell out of the bottom. It, we made such a big deal out of it. And like, I remember when we were writing stories about it at the beginning of the year, um, how important is Ohio State's running back recruiting this year? And Ryan Day said, we're not even sure we're going to need to take one if J.K. comes back. And it's just like, what? <laughs> like if J.K. comes back, I mean, he was one of the best running backs in the country. Why would he come back? So like now they're in a very precarious situation and trying to figure out a very important portion of their offense when otherwise, um, you know, the receivers lost some talent, um, but they have the most stacked room, just pure talent-wise. Maybe it lacks a little experience, but the receivers are great. The offensive line returns two key people that could have left, three key people who could have left between Myers, Munford, and, and Davis. And you have a quarterback that clearly, in my opinion, will be a Heisman Trophy finalist next year. I mean, this offense has the pieces. But running back, to me, is the biggest question on the team right now. On the team. Yeah, I think running back and and uh, like how the secondary is going to shake out are, are the two biggest questions for Ohio State for sure. Uh, I was just looking at the transfer portal that two four seven keeps, and there's not like there was that Lorenzo Lingard or Lingard. I don't know if I'm saying that right from Miami, who like the second he went into the portal, Ohio State fans like, is this the guy? And like he came into Florida like immediately, almost immediately after that. Um, and I don't even know if Ohio State really ever kicked the tires on him anyway. Other than that, there's not really anybody out there who's like, oh, that looks like an intriguing name. So. I don't. I don't think they'd go that route unless somebody else's name comes into it. I think they go all in on on Gibbs, and if they don't get them, um, I think they're okay for for next season. And then, like you said, they can load up on twenty one and and restock that room a little bit. I just wonder, like, of all the positions, if we wanted to do this right now, and I don't know if you want to, but like, what position um, 
do you think is the easiest to transform uh, to a starter from senior year of high school to freshman year of college? Because I do think running back might be one of the easiest ones to do. Yeah, like probably. Like corner and quarterback are the two hardest, probably. Um, I would maybe say linebacker. I, would I don't know. Say maybe, running back might be. Yeah, I think probably running back or like if you're an elite, elite pass rusher in high school, that probably translates fairly quickly to college. Yeah. But those two. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, if they feel like, and, and Gibbs isn't a slouch. And I, I know that, like, a lot of people look at the recruiting rankings, and by a lot of people, I mean me. <laughs> but, you know, I do think that there are certain times, and Crowley is the perfect example of that, where guys are rated something. But, you know, and even Chris Olave is the perfect example of, you know, not a lot of tape, didn't get a lot of breakdown, and, and his rating suffered. And I think that that's when Ohio State has to come in and analyze the talent and decide, uh, regardless of what the rating is, is this a guy who can come in and play? And I know there's some question about whether even Mayan Williams is an Ohio State caliber player. Um, and maybe he wouldn't have been had Ohio State uh, landed one of the guys that was on their board, like, uh, you know, B. John Robinson earlier in the in the process. He clearly wasn't their top choice. But, um, you know, Gibbs, I think, from what I understand, is a really, really good player and maybe somebody who's a step ahead of where Williams is right now. And that's something that could be a crucial piece of Ohio State's football team next year. So the other the other missing uh, piece right now for Ohio State recruiting in twenty twenty at least is is Cam Martinez and I don't I, I don't know what's what do you think is going to happen there? Uh, I mean when it when it first came out that he wasn't going to um, sign with Ohio State, my gut feeling was that makes sense. Um, he seemed pretty committed to Ohio State and had a great relationship with Halfley. Um, Halfley went to his high school for three or four hours in one day, and I think that really made the difference. So it doesn't shock me that he wanted to reopen it. Um, so, like, the fact that Halfley isn't involved anymore makes me think he's going to sign elsewhere. Maybe Notre Dame, even. I, I've been reading is it's getting into the fold here a little bit. Um, and he's, like, been very academically swayed. So that's also why Northwestern's in the mix. Um, and Notre Dame could be like the perfect place in terms of geography and, and, you know, tradition and academics for him. And like the thing that I think is curious and like, I don't have the closest relationship with him. Um, but the fact that Ohio state's next defensive backs coach keeps winning in the NFL playoffs is not helping them there. Like I, I, cause like, I think that he's a big relationships guy. And it's like, I wonder, like, and I might, like, even write a column on Sunday about this, but, like, if Tennessee wins again, and I don't know if they are going to, they're playing the Chiefs now, but, like, if they win again, it's like every week that Kerry Combs, and I'm just assuming it's him at this point, that Kerry Combs is, like, locked up in the NFL playoffs, it's, like, another week where he can't recruit Cameron Martinez, (laughs) you know? And it's just, like, I think that's going to have a very negative input or impact, excuse me, on where he's going. And, like, if you put a gun to my head right now, I would say that he ends up somewhere else. Yeah, I think I think I would guess that too. I wonder. I've I've never spoken with him, but I know you spend time with him up in Muskegon, and I'm sure places like Northwestern and, and maybe even Notre Dame are saying to him, like, "Listen, man, like you can come here and play whatever position you want." And I know he's a really talented player on offense, and it seems like his future at Ohio State would be on defense. Like, how much do you think that matters? Like the the openness to to play on either side of the ball. You know, I, I think that Ohio State like you viewed him. I think he's an offensive minded player. Um, but Ohio State really wanted him on defense. And, like, Berm from Letterman Row, as you mentioned, is, like, obsessed with him. Like, thinks he would have been the best player in Ohio State's class. And that's somebody who breaks down film, I think, and, you know, really understands, you know, the X's and O's of the way things go. And I do think this is a major loss. Um, But I think he views himself as an offensive player. So I do think that that would matter some. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I'm in agreement with you. I'm not, I'm not sure that in the end this is going to go Ohio State's way unless something happens where OSU can get its future defensive or future defensive backs coach on the ground recruiting him. Um, which you know it might happen, it might not. I don't know. We'll see what happens. If it is Combs, we'll see what happens when the Titans play uh, play the Chiefs. I would like it if the Chiefs won because your boys got some uh, playoff fantasy stakes. Uh, Riding, riding on the Chiefs. Yeah, you do this every year, and I feel like you're really good at it. Do you? You're like like winning money at we this didn't, every year. We aren't didn't. You? We didn't. The first year I did it, we did. Um, and it's basically you pick you pick a fantasy team out of all the 
playoff teams, but you get multipliers for each round your guys advance if you don't have to keep reshuffling your lineup. So we're riding with the Niners and the Chiefs right now. And uh, we're, we're sitting pretty good because not many people have the Niners. But um, Why? yeah, we, we, do, we do all right with it. I don't know. I think a lot of people had uh, the Saints, which I thought was surprising. And there was another team. I think a few had Seattle and um, Minnesota, which was I, I was kind of it didn't make much sense to me. But we rode with with the 49ers. Um, so we're looking pretty good. So now what you've got to do is drive to Indiana and hedge it. Yeah. With real money, you know, and then really go down the rabbit hole. I think that you should. Should I tell, tell my, people, uh, my what I did yes. this week? What I did this week? That's savagery. <laughs> well, actually, I, I think a, a nice thank you would be in order because the plays didn't just fall out of the sky, but it was a ruthless, ruthless thing to do to the DraftKings sportsbook while you were in Indiana. So yeah, tell it. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a gambling man. Um, but when I'm in Indiana, I tend to fire up the DraftKings app because I'm only in Indiana like two or three times every year. And you can't do it in Ohio. Uh, and I was writing in my room after the basketball game against Indiana last weekend, and the NFL playoff games were happening. And I was, I said, let's put a, let's put a few bucks out there, and uh, let's make it a parlay. That way, you know, it's I don't have to put a lot of money out there, but if it hits, I'll, I'll win a nice chunk of money. So I bet uh, I bet the Niners uh, to cover. I bet the over in the Syracuse Virginia basketball game, and those are both uh, plays that I got for you. But then the crazy part was I meant to pit pick Baltimore to cover like the nine and a half point spread against Tennessee and I accidentally picked Tennessee <laughs> so like I made a mistake at least I, I went I went against what I actually meant to do in my head and then ended up winning because of it I hit the parlay so he got the over in the Syracuse Virginia game from me and the over yeah. was 115 or something and like the halftime score was 24 to 20 so like he already like thought it was a loss and this, and I my went guy, to sleep. My guy falls asleep, <laughs> dude. And then the second half was twenty three nineteen. It was like over. The game went to overtime while dude was sleeping. And Syracuse, who scored nineteen points in the second half, scored twenty in overtime in five minutes. And the over hit while dude was napping. Yeah, yeah. That was like the fact that you accidentally picked the wrong NFL game, the wrong side, and that hit and. That crazy backdoor over hit because of some bullshit overtime. That was the luckiest parlay hit of all time, and you were freaking sleeping. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the trick. Put your bets in and then just go to sleep. Don't worry about it. Yeah, no, that's the trick, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, congratulations. I think you pulled a quick 300 there, huh? Yeah, yeah. I might uh, like buy a fire pit or something for the backyard, you know? Or yeah, maybe I'll just buy a bunch of new shoes. Yeah, you buy a fire pit for the backyard, take the parlay money, and increase the value of your home. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I, think that's, that's, I think that's the move. Wow. Sometimes we get lucky, man. You know, I yeah. stopped at uh, I stopped in the casino on the way back from from Maryland because there's one like in the in the mountains there in in Appalachia when you're driving back, and uh, I lost like uh, sixty bucks in forty seconds. So it all evens out. Oh, you played? I thought you were just uh, you were just going in for the free uh, Coke machine. No, I went I went in to use the bathroom mostly, but then yeah, I went in and. Uh, Thought to myself, let's see what I can get here if I put a couple a uh, couple dollars in the Wheel of Fortune slot machine, and uh, you know they took my money and spit nothing back out. Landis and Douglas Maurice are big penny slot guys, so uh, no do- dollar slots, dollar slots, high stakes, dollar slots, high stakes. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm happy for you, shit. man. That was our tradition. Anytime Bill and I drive back from Maryland, we stop at that place. It's a nice casino, Rocky Rocky Gap Casino Resort. It's really it's it's well, I don't know if it's a nice casino, it's but, tiny. Like, but it's tiny. It's tiny, but it, the landscape is beautiful. It's up like against the mountains. It is like there. It's really nice. Um, but the, I don't know uh, who goes there. Wheel of Fortune. Uh, I don't know kind who of goes like there this either. Place in the middle of nowhere. It's literally in the middle of nowhere. But yeah. it's it's also the perfect stop if you're like they've got a restaurant in there and they've got some table games. They've got a bar. Um, cherry it's a coke good stop on draft. If you weren't looking to break up a ride, there's no better feeling in the world than putting down a cherry coke on draft. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Uh, Shall we wrap up there? Is there anything else you wanted to get to? Uh, did you want to talk about Donovan Jackson and Greg Stujara? Because I know that was another one that. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So the la- I think like right after the last time we did a podcast, Ohio State ended up getting a couple commitments in the class of 2021. Uh, one of them was Jalen Johnson, a safety from Cincinnati. LaSalle, and the other one was Donovan Jackson, uh, an offensive guard from uh, Bel Air, Texas, Episcopal, which I think is where uh, Demetrius Knox went, if I'm not mistaken, to high school. Um, but Jackson was the one that was interesting to me because Ohio State's on a little, Ohio State's on a roll recruiting in general, 
But the offensive line recruiting has really taken a step up in the last couple of years. Jackson is the number one guard in the class of 2021. Uh, he's the number 57 overall player. And Ohio State already had Ben Crispin, who's the number 56 overall player, an offensive tackle in that class. And since 2018, they've signed one or have signed or indoor gotten commitments from one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight top 100 offensive linemen. And in addition to that, have done a pretty good job, I think, of recruiting depth guys in the state of Ohio too. And, and we've talked about it before. I feel like the room is like in a really healthy place with the way they're recruiting guys. And I just think it's an interesting sort of study of Greg Stoudrawa, who I think got some heat for the way he was recruiting before, but now seems to have turned things around. Like, I don't know, how much credit are you willing to give Greg Stoudrawa for, like, getting his shit in order recruiting-wise? I mean, if you're going to give him flack for being um, underwhelming in it, then when they start pulling these linemen, um, you got to give him credit. Like, to me, Bill, if they didn't get Paris Johnson, you remember that time when Urban Meyer retired, um, and then he was basically uncommitted for a while after he committed. Like, I feel like at that point, and I don't know if I'm making this up in my head, but I feel like he was recruiting Paris Johnson for his job. Like, if they weren't able to get him, I think it's possible they might not have kept him. Is that insane to say out loud? No, I, don't, I mean, that would have been a, a huge, huge loss, yeah. So um, Coming off the heels of Jackson Garment, yeah. Right, right. So, and now that they're in... Houston getting a guy who's the number one offensive guard and a top 60 national player. Like, how do you not give credit, especially considering the fact that Ohio State hasn't traditionally recruited the Houston area that that much? And we wrote a story about that in 2014 when we were in Houston after the national championship game about parachute offers and trying to get into that territory. But has Ohio State signed a Houston player since then? Uh, if they have, I, it's a suburb no, that I, I didn't make the connection to. But I don't, I don't think, think they so. have. Um and, like, I'm actually kind of curious um, on the way back from Laguna, and I'll just break this out to you now. Um, I'm stopping back in Dallas for a layover for one night on the way home, and mm-hmm. I might just drive to Houston. Pop one down to Houston, be, see what's up. Do you think that that's a good story? Yeah, that kid's got got some Ohio ties, I think. So, and that's always like the secret sauce and all this stuff. Mitchell Melton, I was talking to in Maryland's got Ohio ties. It's like, everyone you go to talk to about a state is like, why do you like Ohio State? Because my great grandfather was a Buckeye. Like, oh, okay. It always happens. But, uh, no, yeah. But, like, just yeah. the idea of, like, that's a very – Houston is a very SEC. It's a, it's a, to me, it's a southern city. Does Texas – does Houston count as the south? I think Houston – Houston, because of um, some of the Katrina relocations, I think has more, has more and more become an SEC recruiting hotbed than anything else. Because, like, yeah, because, like, Houston's, like, what, three-hour drive from New Orleans? I think so, yeah. Or maybe it's five. I don't know. But, like, it's a very SEC area. And I remember when we went down to, what was the high school that we went to? North Shore. You, North Shore. That's like a powerhouse. And like I went there, and like the Ohio State always offers kids from North Shore, but they never get them. And wasn't there a running back from North Shore last year that they wanted and was a five-star prospect? Am I making that up? Isn't Zach but Evans like, I think, from North Shore? I think Zach Evans might be from North Shore. Yeah, Zach Evans is from North Shore. Yeah. See, I remember things. But um, Houston's never traditionally been a place, so for, for Stud to go down there and get him, Regardless of the Ohio ties, you know, you identify those Ohio ties. You see if they have the uh, the connection that's strong enough for them to be legitimately interested. Then you attack, and he he followed the guidebook, and they they got a, a really good player out of Houston. I think he deserves all the credit in the world for that. Because you you think he's a very good offensive line coach in general, don't you? And like the recruiting aspect of his job was the reason why people were questioning him. Yeah, I thought for the most part he's done a pretty good job, especially like he inher- he inherited not a great situation um, when he took over for Ed Warner. Um, I think he's done a decent to, to very good job coaching offensive line. This past year, I think, was his best year in terms of, of development and getting guys ready to play. And now it's coinciding with with some pretty big uh, recruiting momentum swings. And they have these two guys, Chrisman and Jackson, in 2021. J.C. Latham's another top 100 offensive lineman tackle who I, I think they're in a good spot for. And there's a couple other guys in that class, too, who are top 150, top 200 kind of players that – Ohio State could end up taking a pretty big offensive line class, like maybe as, as many as six guys this year, um, and they're off to a really good start. And I think when you look when we're all, when we look at it, when the class is over and, and, and signed, they have five or six. I think it's possible, you know, four or five of those guys are, are top one hundred, top one fifty kind of guys, which would be huge. And J.C. Latham um, is on my list. That's going to run any minute um, for twenty twenty. I think he's like the number eight player on that list. So check out the Ohio State's top remaining 
uh, top 10 remaining 2021 recruiting board story that's going to go up any minute. Um, and he's from Wisconsin originally. So like, even though he's down in Florida, he's unofficially visited Ohio state twice already. So like, that's somebody that, and he's a top, he's a consensus number 80 player in the country. I think I'm the 21 class, another top 15 offensive tackle like that, like could be a huge get. And like, when you start getting these guys, I know that, you know, in the race to sign the, the recruiting crown or to get the number one rated class, it's all about how top heavy you are in terms of, um, you know, top five star, top five at position prospects. But like Ohio State could have been in the mix for the recruiting crown this year if some of those three star transitional players that they got on the offensive line were players like this. So like it to me, based earlier, based on early returns of what we're seeing in the 2021 class, Ohio State's turning their offensive line recruitment strategy into more of a national four-star high-end prospect type strategy than it was to like mix it up. So like if they go every other year where they try the Ohio um, offensive line developmental guy heavy class um, one year and then the next year they try to go national and get high-end, I think that every other year that makes a very solid, healthy offensive line room, which I think would be a good story if you want to write that down in terms of how they want to do that. Because it's like it could be mixed in the same class the same way it was with the number one offensive tackle in the country with Paris Johnson, who happened to be from Ohio. And then you have these three-star guys like Jacob James coming in. But, you know, going every other year, like if they get JC and they have, you know, Donovan, like they, they've got some really good players coming in on the offensive line right now. Yeah, yeah, they're in a good spot. And I think when you talk about like, Longevity and projecting things, I think you need to look at. Quarterback's important, obviously, but if you're recruiting at this level on the offensive and defensive lines, uh, you're going to be pretty good for a long time. So, and maybe the defensive line is not quite there right now, but I think as long as Larry Johnson's around, you can be confident that it will will almost always be at that point. So they're in a really good spot. And one other thing, Bill, before we 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 shut this off, because I haven't seen you in a month and I miss you, so I just like hearing your voice. Um, Stuart Mandel released his top twenty-five. And I know that you mentioned an early top 25 um, earlier on in the podcast, but I just wanted to mention it in something that is kind of like a jumping off point as a way to set the precedent for the future. His top five is number one, Clemson, number two, Ohio State, number three, Alabama, number four, Georgia, number five, LSU uh, for 25. So it's the same uh, same uh, cast characters and, you know, Penn State's at number six. So, you know, I think we're dealing with another another season that's going to feel very similar to the way that the season went. So, um, yeah, you know, as much I don't know as if I agree. I, I think I like, a, I like where Ohio state is, but, um, Alabama, Georgia and LSU all have pretty significant quarterback questions in my opinion. Although I guess most teams do. And Penn state, Clemson um, and Ohio state are a pretty good spot. Lost that Fryermuth guy. So no, he's coming. He's coming. Back, oh wait, no, he's he? coming back. I'm sorry. That's not what I meant. Yeah. Clifford yeah. and Fryermuth are coming back. I always get that confused. And isn't Micah Parsons coming back too, or did he leave? Well, yes, but we'll. Uh, there's some stuff happening at Penn State, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see how all that shakes out yeah. for James Franklin. I guess the, the, guys the point that I'm trying to make is that Ohio State fans right now are probably still in the depths of hell as they try to relive what has happened to them in the playoff this year. But given the way that things are going in the recruiting game. With their returning next year, they're going to be right back in the mix of it, and we're already starting to kind of focus that as spring football is around the corner. What, like in six weeks? Seven, like seven starting, weeks, yeah. The first week, seven first weeks week we're going to be writing about it. So, you know, ye- we, you know, here we go again. So also we have the um, depth charts coming out um, on the 20th and the 21st, so watch out for those. And um, a lot of good stuff coming our, our way, and, of course, Stay uh, tuned with my main man, Dalla B. Landis, uh, from Ryan Day's press conference on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Look, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I, I actually like this part of the season. I think it's fun. Like, this is like the spring to project forward and stuff. So this is this is an interesting time of the year. Are you going to uh, get some surfing in while you're out there in Laguna or what? Yeah, I, uh, we cashed in those Marriott points, and uh, we'll be staying at the Ritz-Carlton in Laguna. Ooh, the Ritz. For the price of free, which is the best. Oh, my God, Bill, I got the, the room. I think this is genuine, generally con- viewed as the one of the nicest hotels in the continental United States, like because it's like right on the cliff of Laguna Beach, um, and I got it for fifty thousand points a night. Ooh, that's a pretty good deal. Did you? Uh, the- I don't know if it's because it's the off season or not, but like 
there's like courtyards that are 25,000 in the middle of freaking Indiana. Yeah. I don't know how I did it, but it, it, that's why I'm going right now because it was just so cheap. Did you watch the show when you were uh, a young whippersnapper? I didn't, actually. Oh, no. I would have had you pegged as a Laguna Beach guy. I was... Uh, it's like Bachelor I've been Jason, a Bachelor yeah. guy since the day. Yeah, and I also didn't watch uh, Jersey Shore either, believe it or not. Oh, God, you got to watch Jersey Shore. It's hilarious. Yeah, well, those are your people. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we'll wrap up there. We'll be back with you guys uh, next week. Uh, probably, I think Wednesday probably the day we'll try to lock in and get a podcast out to you every week. And then when we get to spring football... Uh, maybe we'll ratchet it up a little bit and mix in some different stuff too. But uh, until next week, for Ari Wasper and I'm Bill Landis, thanks so much for listening to Florida Safe Play and B.